Welcome to Court of Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez. And I'm Mike Stir. All right, man. We've had a, a pretty quiet week, honestly, in the basketball realm. Um, we've been talking a lot about Luca lately, but he's just continued his domination. All-Star game, definitely on, and we're getting closer and closer to it. So I think we want to talk about some of the snubs that we perceive coming. Uh, LeBron winding back the clock and winding back a few other things. Want to get to that. And then everyone's favorite segment, what's the verdict? You will ask me about whether or not somebody is guilty or innocent based on certain scenarios. But we're going to start with what's the point? Kyrie Irving told James Harden, hey, man, I'm shooting guard. You're a point guard, I'm shooting guard. I don't care about being point guard. You can be point guard. You can be the ball handler. I'm just going to step back and, and be the two. What was your take on this? How do you think that this fits into the Nets plan? And do you think Kyrie did the right thing? I think that if you're the Nets, this is about as good of a situation as you can ask for. Well, what uh, you worry about if you're the Nets is Kyrie Irving being stubborn about the fact that he is, in fact, the point guard and lead playmaker. That would be bad because everyone with eyes and anyone that can analyze the statistical production of both James Harden and Kyrie Irving to this point in their careers can easily see that James Harden is the better distributor. Um, Kyrie Irving has never really been known to be a great uh, playmaker for others. He can make very flashy passes and he's capable of making some pretty incredible passes, but it doesn't seem that his mentality is first and foremost to create for others. Whereas James Harden seems to have an innate knack and sense for always knowing where his guys are and finding high quality looks. He tends to always know what his team needs on offense. He tends to pace his team well. His drive and kick game, his ability to penetrate is excellent. And I think that they do need to have defined roles on this team because one of the biggest issues was who's going to be the guy, what role is going to be the role of scorer, who's going to be the main guy, who's going to take the shot at the end. Everyone asked, would there be enough, um, enough shots for all three of these guys? And I think that each one basically settling into a defined role helps them all form a system that also allows their role players to start forming some cohesiveness and start to form an identity of how they're going to get this thing going. So I also think really um, unselfish on James Harden's part to take on this role, because even though he is now the lead ball handler and usually gets the ball most of the time, he's also seeing a massive decrease in his number of shot attempts because he is being tasked with trying to find Kyrie and Kevin in their best spots, but he's accepted this role and he's said that he's willing to take any role to help the team win. I've actually been pretty surprised with his unselfishness. So um, I think it's, it's, it's a really good thing for the Nets. What they got to figure out is their defense. If they can figure out on defense who's going to play defense, then they might be onto something. Yeah, I agree. I think it was very unselfish uh, from Kyrie. And obviously there was the whole thing that happened where he sat out for several games and uh, didn't really want to play, went to his sister's birthday party, et cetera. But now Kyrie is coming out and saying, no, I told James he's going to be the point guard and I'm going to be the shooting guard. And I think that it makes complete sense. Um, like you were talking about James Harden. Yeah, he's taking a dip in terms of his uh, shot attempts per game. But his role on teams as of late before Chris Paul went to Houston, he was averaging double-double assists. Even when Chris Paul went to Houston, he was still averaging double-double assists. 
Then he had Russell Westbrook last year, and he took a slight decrease in the amount of assists that he had per game because Russell dominates the ball. But I remember when he was in Oklahoma City. I remember when he was in Houston. The question was always, why is James Harden not playing point guard? Why is James Harden playing shooting guard when clearly he has a knack for spacing out the floor, finding his teammates, and, and getting them the ball? And so for James Harden, who is averaging this season 11.2 assists per game, it's fine if he takes a backseat points per game. Yeah, he's averaging below his career average, but if you look at his field goal percentage versus his, uh, Kyrie's field goal percentages, James Harden, 46.8% compared to Kyrie's 52.5%. Three-point percentages, James Harden's shooting 36.7 versus Kyrie's 40.9. And free throw percentages, James Harden's shooting 89.2 versus Kyrie's 95%. So Kyrie, his whole career, he hasn't been as big of a distributor as James. He's averaging about what he's averaged for his career, a little under six assists per game. So this is a natural fit. I think it's a great job from two guys who are doing what they need to do to win. Um, and I think that it's going to pay dividends for the Nets moving forward. Yeah, I agree. And if there was any doubt about whether they took on the proper roles, Kyrie Irving has never at any point in his career averaged more than seven assists per game. And as a contrast, James Harden has averaged better than seven assists per game every year for the last eight seasons. So I think that when you look at the statistics, it makes all the sense in the world. Yeah, I agree. Well, moving on to some other young faces in the league. Uh, Luka Doncic has been battling with a couple other superstars for being the face of the league. Luka had to play both Trey Young with the Hawks and Zion Williamson of the Pelicans this week. All three of them in each of their games put up monster performances, but similar to what Luka did with Steph last week, he got the better of both of them. So which one do you feel of those three had a better performance? And which player under 23 would you want to build your franchise around? This is honestly such a hard pick to make. I mean, you look at Doncic right now, it's really hard to not pick him just based on the statistical output that he gives you. I think he obviously, at this point in his career, if you look at the seasons that they've put together between this season and last season and the one before that, you'd say that Luca has the best statistical output to this point. But then you also have to figure that Luca is probably also the one who is maybe the closest to his ceiling. Zion Williamson obviously is still oozing with potential. There's still a lot of aspects of his game that he can improve. Trey Young conversely also has a lot of layers that he can still improve on, although doesn't quite have the same ceiling that Zion does. I just feel like if you're looking at these guys, if Zion Williamson can stay healthy, he's just a very dominant force in the paint that is a game changer in terms of scoring ability to be that size, to be able to move as fast as he does and handle the ball, I can still see the ability of Zion to turn into a distributor and playmaker for others. He's shown flashes of it this year. He hasn't really shown polish shooting outside the paint, and you'd love to see more growth in that department. He's not a great free throw shooter, which points to his probably true shooting ability. I don't think he'll ever be an elite shooter, but it just seems that the way that this league has been this league has been gearing more and more to people who are three-point shooters that can easily switch on the perimeter. And as a result, 
the league has become dominated by players who are generally not that big. They're a little bit slighter in frame. They tend to play more on the outside. This is why Zion Williamson has the ability to shoot literally 90% in a game like he did against Luka Doncic because it's impossible to stop him in the paint when he's got an advantage of like 50 and 60 pounds on everybody and he still has the ability to switch and play on the outside. So I guess if it was me and um, I was playing this in a 2K type setting and I could turn the interest off, I would still pick Zion Williamson to build my franchise around just because of the insane future potential that he has. It's just, it seems to me like he's only scratching the surface of what he can do. Whereas for Luca right now, I think that I'm seeing like pretty much close to what he's going to be at his best. I just don't know what else he can do better than what he's doing right now. Um, but as far as just individual performances this week, we'd probably have to go with the 46 point, 12 assist, eight rebound performance that Luka Doncic put up against Zion Williamson. That same game, Zion shot an insane 14 for 15, 36 points, but he did come up short and Luka Doncic did affect the game in more aspects. So best individual performance of the week, Luka Doncic, who to build around Zion Williamson. Well, I agree with you on the individual performance piece. I think that that was a masterful performance by uh, Luca, and although it was a closer game, uh, Dallas did close it out in the third and fourth quarter, winning both quarters by three and six points, respectively. Um, I think Trey Young probably gets the runner-up performance with 25 points and 15 assists. Um, I, I think he's done a great job of distributing the ball this year, and I think from like a, a leader perspective, he's done a good job of galvanizing that team. Um, they're, I think, slightly underperforming with some of their pieces that they picked up this offseason. Gallinari was out for a little bit as well as Bogdanovich. Um, so they haven't really been what I think you and I both projected them to be, uh, the Hawks. But um, I, I think overall, um, great games by all three guys. Now, in terms of who I'd want to build my team around, I agree with you. I think Zion Williamson is a force. I think that he is going to be continued to talk about uh, throughout the league for the rest of his career. But I need to see more from Zion in terms of his conditioning, in terms of his uh, improvement on his game and the fundamentals, um, in, in terms of trying to get those shooting percentages up and beginning to space the floor more. Because if you're looking at stars as they age over the course of their career, and I know it's only Zion's second year, Kobe Bryant came into the league, wasn't a very dominant shooter, wasn't great from outside, and as he aged, needed to become the dominant shooter that he became in order to stay in the game, to update how people guarded him, and allow for him to be able to drive at ease. LeBron James, I think he's going to have his best three-point uh, shooting percentage ever this year. I, he was driving on Dylan Brooks the other day, took a step back three off balance and drained it. Um, and you've just seen that more and more from LeBron this season as well as last season. He's getting more comfortable from behind the arc and is just continuing to, to turn back the clock and um, really show why he is so committed to the game. I haven't seen that from Zion yet. 
I know we talked about him being so committed when he was younger and waking up at 4 a.m. to go for runs and doing everything to improve his game. Um, I, I hope that he continues to do that. But as I look right now, Luka Doncic doesn't have to do that. Yeah, he needs to incre increase his three-point percentage, but the guy in his, I think, third year is averaging 9.4 points or 9.4 assists per game, 8.6 rebounds, 29 points, and he's only 21 years old. So I think Luka is going to continue to improve, but also Luka, even if he stayed where he is right now for the rest of his career, would probably win a championship and be a first ballot Hall of Famer easily. So I'm going to take Luka over Zion uh, for building my team around. I think that the Hawks should have done the same thing instead of trading the Mavericks to get Trey Young on their team while Trey is special. I don't think he's as special as Luka. Um, but I, I would go with Luka in that scenario and Luka for the best individual game performance. It's honestly such a tough call. I, I agree with you. But I will say one thing about Zion. He has shown some improvement in his shooting ability. He has shown a modest leap from 64% free throw shooting last season to 71% free throw shooting this year. So going below average to average, at least in only one year's time, he is a year younger than Luca. But we do see at least a modest improvement in shooting percentage, which at least can lead you to believe that there is something to work with there. Um, and yes, you're right. Luca is right now, if he does what he's doing right now for the rest of his career, first ballot Hall of Famer, I guess it's just hard to turn down a guy who is currently 20 years old, putting up 24 points a game on 60% shooting. That's insane. 60% from the perimeter. Although they're mostly dunks, he is a perimeter player. It's just tantalizing to see um, what he might become. But I think the whole point is the league is in good hands for the future regardless. So it's good for the league either way. Yeah, I agree. Well, moving on to the league and talking about the all-star teams, things are starting to take shape. There are a few people who are pretty much locks to make it. All the guys that we just talked about, I think will be locks to make it as well as LeBron James, um, Giannis, Giannis Agumbo and uh, Kawhi Leonard, I can see all those guys making it, but there will be snubs. So who do you think the East snubs are? Do you want to start there? And then I can start with the West. All right. So starting with the East, I'm going to go with the guy that I think is probably going to be the biggest snub, probably the most deserving of all my snubs to make it. Um, I just think that Zach Levine is going to get shafted. Zach Levine usually gets shafted. That is the story of his career, is that he gets shafted. So there's a good chance it's going to happen again. And it's going to be a real shame this time because the guy is putting up a monster year. And he's still a name that almost no one really talks about. Your general fan of the NBA probably doesn't even know who he is. But he's putting up 28 points per game, 5.4 assists, 5.4 rebounds, he's shooting 51% from the field, 43% from three, 86% from the free throw. I mean, these are incredible, elite numbers. 
these are numbers that in a lot of years, if you compare it statistically, would have you at least in the conversation for MVP. But since it's Zach Levine and he's on the Bulls and the Bulls are doing awful, it's basically all going to waste. The guy's literally attempting 8.3 three-pointers per game and hitting 43%. He's a scoring machine. But it seems, um, you know how it is with the all-star teams, winning record does matter a lot in the Soda storyline. And right now, the East is pretty loaded on guards. So I do see him as a casualty. Next one up, I'm going to have to give it to Jeremy Grant, somebody that I thought is probably going to be a likely candidate to be moved, as should all of the people that make these teams. But Jeremy Grant quietly is having the best season of his career. He's averaging 23 points a game, 5.4 rebounds and three assists for a Pistons team that really doesn't have an identity or really much of anything going for it. He seems to still be able to produce 23 points a game with no one to take anything off of him. He's extended his three-point shooting to knock down 38% this year. He's become a true inside-outside threat. And I think that he basically is reminiscent of a better version of last year's Jay Crowder for the Heat in the playoffs. So um, I think that he's a really great player, but unfortunately, I think he'll also miss it. Um, Colin Sexton, same story. This guy, terrible team, great individual performances. You have to feel good if you're a Cavaliers fan about the future of your franchise with this young point guard. Darius Garland, also a nice piece. But Colin Sexton averaging 22 points per game, 4.2 assists. We talked about him earlier on the pod and asked if he would be able to sustain this year's increased scoring output. And it seems that he has been able to sustain it. He is not only making 22.7 points per game, he's also doing it on a very efficient 48.6% shooting, also 42% from three, which is really impressive for a guy whose jump shot was heavily criticized coming into the league. And I can't believe I'm going to say this. Julius Randle is <laughs> worthy of consideration. Um, he is on the Knicks, but the Knicks this year aren't too bad. They're actually potentially going to make the playoffs um, based on their great defense. Um, their offense is obviously abysmal. But Julius Randle is the one guy who's putting up points for them, 22 points per game, 11 rebounds, and surprising playmaking ability, 5.6 assists per game. Many people probably wouldn't peg Julius Randle for a playmaking forward, but he actually does handle a lot of playmaking duties for the Knicks. I actually would be certain that if it wasn't for Julius Randle, the Knicks would not be in playoff contention right now. He actually does a lot for them, and he's really underrated. So good for him. And for the last spot, this guy has been an all-star before, uh, maybe even considered a perennial all-star at one point. But at this point, um, maybe a little bit more of an afterthought, even though he's having a great year. Gordon Hayward, 22 points per game, 5.5 rebounds, 3.8 assists. Not, you know, the craziest season in the world, but it's worthy of consideration. Still pretty efficient scoring numbers, and the Hornets are hanging around in the hunt for the playoffs. So I'd have to give it to him for my last spot. Well, you didn't really leave me anything to, uh, to, to be able to talk about from the East. I think you covered most of my people. Uh, the only other one that I'd throw in there <laughs> um, is I think that uh, – 
there's a potential for one of the two Orlando centers not to make it in Vucevic and Bam Adebayo. I think it will come down to partially the fan vote, but I don't think that um, centers get the respect that they used to get in the NBA. And so people will opt for some of the power forwards in that conference rather than uh, the centers in that, that spot. So I could see um, either of those two getting edged out and potentially being snubbed from the game or being an injury replacement for that game. Yeah, I can see it. I, I didn't put them on my list just because I'm expecting them to make it. But um, you're right. I can see a way in which it doesn't happen. But since I basically covered most of the East, go ahead and give us a rundown of who you've got for the West. Yeah, so thinking about the West, some of these were tough. Um, and I, I think the West has always just been a more stacked conference. Um the, the first player that comes to mind, who I think similar to Zach Levine, similar position, and similarly gets snubbed, I think, every year, is De'Aaron Fox. Um, he, every single year, seems to get better and better, but people just don't give him the respect that he deserves. However, if you look at the top point guards in the West, you have Steph Curry, who's having a monster season. Damian Lillard, similarly, monster season. Luka Doncic, we just talked about him and what a special guy he's been. So... Those are three point guards that are ahead of De'Aaron Fox. I don't see him supplanting any of those three in terms of voting. Then you got to look at the shooting guards. You have Devin Booker, Paul George, and Donovan Mitchell, all having great seasons as well. So I think that those six are going to get the votes over De'Aaron Fox, and he's going to get snubbed once again. Um, I think somebody else that has had an amazing season that nobody expected, and I think he'll be in contention for one of the awards at the end of the season, Christian Wood. Um, you were very high on him to come into the season, and rightfully so. He's averaging 22 points per game. He's averaging 55% from the field and 42% from three. Um, but he's not a household name. The Rockets, the only really notable storyline from them has been the whole James Harden ordeal. So I could see Christian Wood getting snubbed, which is unfortunate because the guy's been, been special this year. Um, but He'll likely be the, I feel, most improved player of the year, but I don't think he's going to, to fill out an all-star spot um, for this season. And then somebody else who we haven't talked about in a, a very long time, um, but he's been doing well, is DeMar DeRozan. Um, I think DeRozan has been a, a bright spot on the Spurs this season. The Spurs, I feel, just like the Spurs in any other season, are sneakily good. Um, and have been doing well overall. So DeMar DeRozan, um, while he's having a team that's in the sixth seed right now uh, with a winning record, I, I think that he's going to get snubbed just because I think the, the shooting guards that are um, in the West are just going to be uh, too much for DeMar DeRozan to really get over the hump there. Um, those are my big snubs. I would say the other person that's underperformed, I don't think he'll end up being exclusive excluded, but underperformed in terms of how high everybody was coming into the season on him. But I think you and I talked about in the initial podcast that people should lower their expectations is Anthony Davis. Um, yes, Anthony Davis has been great this season, but he's not being like Anthony Davis great. I think he's on averaging under 23 points per game. Um, the Lakers retooled with a few other players, so the load has been taken off of purely being on Anthony Davis. But He'll get it because of the fan vote, because Los Angeles is a huge market, and because LeBron James is going to be vying for him. But he's somebody who I wouldn't be surprised if people wanted to leave him off of their all-star roster. 
Yeah, I agree with um, a lot of your picks. I actually had, I think, pretty much all of the guys you mentioned on my picks also. Um, the guys that I thought maybe deserved to mention that are probably going to get shafted are, number one, Shea Gilgis-Alexander. The guy had yep. a pretty great year last year. He was pretty good last year, too. But, um, I mean, this year he's basically been an afterthought just because last year the Thunder were like that surprise team. It was supposed to be terrible, but they ended up actually being solid and making the playoffs. So they had a little bit of a buzz then. It seems this year the league was ready for them. So uh, the Thunder are obviously not performing as well this year. So no one's really talking about Shea Gilgis-Alexander, but the man actually has shown steady improvement this year in his game. He's averaging 22.6 points per game, which is nice. But the aspect that I really like about his game is how well-rounded his game is becoming. He's also averaging 5.5 rebounds per game and 6.5 assists per game. He's six foot six, 181 pounds. He gives you the kind of versatility to defend at least three positions. Um, his shooting percentage on the year is up across the board, 50% from the field, 38% from three, really improving um, his outside range and adding a couple of moves to his offensive arsenal. I think that the Thunder are finding that whatever direction they decide to go with all the picks they have, Shea Gilgis is probably a piece they're going to want to keep around for that core for sure. So that's one guy. Um, and then the other guy that I wanted to talk about was Brandon Wood or uh, Brandon Ingram. Sorry about that. Christian Wood, I agree with you on that pick. But Brandon Ingram, another player that um, is having a quietly good year. No one really talks about him too much for the same reasons. Team's not doing great. Also, he's heavily overshadowed by Zion Williamson. But he's quietly putting up 24 points per game, 5.4 rebounds per game, 4.7 assists, kind of well-rounded. And the statistical percentages across the board are efficient. He's not giving you an ineffective 24. He's giving you 24 points per game, but shooting 39% from three for a guy who is six foot eight. That's really elite, 46.6% from the field. I think that many years, his numbers this year would qualify for a spot on the all-star team. It just so happens that the West, as you mentioned earlier, is really stacked. And his team isn't doing great, so he'll probably end up getting the short end of the stick. Yeah, I agree. Well, moving on to the perennial all-star that we all know and love, LeBron James, winding back the clock and winding back that windmill dunk. Oh, so good. Um, LeBron James <laughs> caught a dime from Marcus All and threw it down. It would have been a 50 spot in a dunk contest. He seems to get better and better every single year. I don't know. He keeps talking about that he's drinking wine every night. I think that I, if I drink wine, I wouldn't even be able to jump a foot off the ground. Um, so let's talk about his performance lately. And just, it, I don't understand how these old guys like LeBron, Tom Brady are just doing it every single year, somehow getting better statistically, like old man's game um, and just still dominating the league. Like, people are just tired of it, honestly. It's really incredible. Um, Tom Brady, as great as he is, I don't give him the same, I guess, respect for doing it as an old guy because his game isn't really predicated on athleticism as much as LeBron's is. His job, he's got five guys that if they do their job right, he's not supposed to get hit. So he's really not um, being asked to physically – 
go through the grinder the way LeBron is. I have no idea how at age 36 he's able to be as durable as he is. But I do know one thing. LeBron is a master of downplaying things. He loves saying stuff like, oh, yeah, I, I just drink wine. That's what I do. That's, that's how I do this way. No, it's not. Like LeBron, he is able to do this because he knows that he takes his body very seriously. He invests reportedly over a million dollars a year on a variety of different treatments, rehabs, and different types of physical therapy programs to recover. He has in his own home a variety of different equipment totaling over $500,000 just for the purposes of recovery. So LeBron James knows deep down that his ticket to success is his health. And given the amount of knowledge and information available to players now on how to stay healthy and how to maintain your body, I mean, credit to LeBron. He makes full use of all the information available to him to stay in the best shape that he can and he puts in the work to do it he's very dedicated he wants to be one of the best players in the league so he treats his body accordingly the man is 36 averaging 25.5 points eight rebounds and eight assists he is a little bit down statistically from certain years but it's because lebron james at this point in his career has realized it's all about getting to the playoffs and turning it on then I'm fully confident that when he gets to the playoffs, he'll be able to replicate performances like he had last year. The one thing we got to worry about, or he has to worry about, is how serious is this Anthony Davis Achilles injury? Anthony Davis had to leave the Lakers last game early again because he re-aggravated that Achilles injury that he had. As of right now, we don't know how much time he's going to miss. Achilles injuries can be really tricky. And... The plan was to have LeBron James managed and somewhat rested for the playoffs, especially after having such a deep run last year. I don't think LeBron was accounting for having to pick up the kind of workload he's going to have to take if Anthony Davis misses extended time. So we'll see how LeBron's body reacts to an increased workload if Anthony Davis doesn't come back. But I agree. It's, it seems like he's found the fountain of youth. All the credit in the world to him for staying healthy all this, all this time. Yeah, I, there, there are many uh, pictures or articles that like the most successful people spend more on their health than other people spend on Ferraris. So I think LeBron's definitely doing it the right way uh, and definitely commendable uh, as to what he's doing. Well, that's it for the regular segments. Now we move on to what's the verdict. You're going to ask me some scenarios and questions and ask me whether or not people are innocent or guilty. Ready to go. All right, what is the verdict? So the final three spots in the East standings up to this point of the season all have losing records. Will the East have two teams finish with losing records and make the playoffs? What's the verdict? Guilty. I think they'll have three teams that finish the uh, end of the season with losing records and still make it in. Um, you're going to have play-in games this year, so the people who are in the ninth and 10th seed definitely are going to have losing records. They can easily pull off an upset with the parity that's in the NBA. So that, to me, easily gets two spots. Uh, I still think that the sixth seed is going to have a losing record as well. Um, the East overall, obviously, has not been as strong as the West. But even the West, you have Golden State, who's at 14 and 13, one game over 500. You have Memphis Grizzlies, 11 and 11 at 500. And then the Mavericks sitting in the 10th spot are 13 and 15. So there's still a chance that the West has a few people that are in uh, the same scenario where they have losing records in the East. 
I think it's very plausible and will happen that all of those teams have losing records and are either on the outside sit looking in or right there in the hunt. So, guilty. I'm going to go ahead and agree on one team with a losing record getting in. I don't know if all three teams with losing records will get in just because I've been looking at the standings and the losing records are improving slightly. We were going from teams that were sitting in the A spot that were four and five games below 500 to now the team sitting in the A spot, three games below 500. So it seems that in general, um, the teams that are going to be fighting for those sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth range spots are suddenly are starting to steadily improve. So I don't know that all three teams with losing records will make it, but we'll see. Next one. Malik Beasley is averaging a career-high 20 points per game, suggesting a good investment on the Timberwolves' part, something very rare and strange for them. But he is also now sentenced to 120 days in jail for pleading guilty to felony charges of threats of violence. He seems to be a player with a lot of talent, but he also has a lot of off-the-court issues too. There's always something with this guy. Will the Timberwolves wind up being glad they signed Malik Beasley when his contract is over? What's the verdict? So will they be uh, innocent if they like the contract and guilty if they didn't? Are like they it? guilty? Are they guilty of signing a bad contract? Oh, I mean that's easy. I think they're guilty for everybody that they sign on that team. They have the worst record in the West right now. They don't deserve to be innocent for any contract that they sign, whether it's Carl Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, Ricky Rubio, any of these guys, all of them, they should take a book or page out of Sam Presti's book, trade every single person with the highly inflated market that there is now, get 30 pick swaps from 15 teams and trade their entire team, bring on their entire G League team to fill out this roster and do not play another game with anybody who should be considered an all-star. That is the only way that this team is gonna have any relevance in the next 10 years is if they trade away all of their pieces right now and rebuild from the ground up. But they really if, should. They well, should. Going, they I'm, have I'm all going, they I'm not going with my rant. Let me continue my rant. Let me continue my rant. <laughs> no, no, no. These people talk Lay about every year that they are going to make the playoffs, that they are going to be a playoff team. Glenn Taylor every year is like, I think that we're going to be a playoff team because he's trying to sell the team every single year. So there's instability from the guy who owns the team that then trickles its way down into instability on the coach's side and then trickles its way down to instability on the player's side. So does it surprise me that Malik Beasley or anybody else on the team is having troubles off the court? No, because there's instability from the top. So if you have instability from the top, then obviously as a player, why would you want to be stable? Why would you want to show the franchise that you're committed to them and that you're not going to have off the court issues? So I think that the best thing Timberwolves can do is tear it all down. And you know what? Sorry, Minnesota. Send the Timberwolves over to Seattle to a team and to an owner that's going to care about the franchise, the sport, and want to see their team do well. Also, shout out Florida State with Malik Beasley, though. Ouch. Ouch. I mean, yeah, I have to agree with you. He is putting up 20 points per game. He's only 24 years old, so you are happy about that, but it does not matter if you have the worst record. So I guess I can see where you're coming from. 
uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. But on to the next one. LeBron James, the face of the league, has been officially warned by the league to stop flopping after throwing himself to the ground on a rebound opportunity against the Grizzlies. LeBron in the past has been called out for flopping and he seems to always defend himself and claim that he doesn't flop. Is flopping part of LeBron's game or not? What's the verdict? Well, Is he guilty of being a flopper? Uh, I think if we talk about LeBron's game, we're basically saying, do we think the NBA's game is a game of flopping? Which the answer is yes, absolutely. NBA has become a flopping game. The soccer leagues around the world have all been flopping leagues. It's a part of the game. You've seen players like Trey Young this year implement new sort of flopping techniques where somebody approaches them from behind and then they fall forward as if they didn't expect that person to come into them. People swipe their arms up waiting for somebody to hit them because they want to get the foul called. So it's as the much of an art. The jump shot. Yeah, it's, much of a, it's as much of an art on the offensive side as it is on the defensive side to not try to touch these people as they shoot but still be impactful defensively. Um, so, yeah, LeBron is guilty of flopping. The whole league is guilty of flopping. I, I, I don't see that changing unless the only way this is going to change is if they – Find people like LeBron, like 10 game checks. Find people $3 million for flopping, and you will never see another flop in the game. But that's not going to yeah, happen. Which the players' union is so, never going to agree to that. Right. It, it's such an arbitrary thing. And it, like, if flopping was detrimental in terms of players' health, and somebody who flops ends up getting Achilles stares every time, maybe then you could implement rules to really navigate around flopping but these guys are getting warnings all the time who, who cares like it's not going to do anything in terms of changing behaviors of the game yeah unfortunately it seems that the game has really become more of a flopping league it's actually become a skill to the point where you can even flop in video games now it's ridiculous but i will say one thing i'm not going to give lebron the same level of pass that you do and just say it's a flopping league because although i do agree it is a flopping league. I think that there are degrees, like how awful the flop is. And there are some players, like you mentioned, like Trey Young, who will do the, I stopped suddenly so that you ran into me and then I fall forward. There's people who have developed techniques like that to draw contact, to basically sell a foul call. The thing is, LeBron is part of that special cluster of floppers that will flop when there's no contact whatsoever. Like the types of flops that the other players, they don't even know what happened. And they look over at you and they're like, dude, what are you doing? Like that is the kind of flop that only a few players you can think of come to mind that do stuff like that. Guys like Marcus Smart, um, you know, the guys that Patrick Beverly's of the world, the guys who really play that annoying try to get under your skin and annoy you game. I really hate that. I, I mean, there's no place in the game. I understand selling contact because that's where the league is right now. And you almost have to sell the contact to get to the line to be able to stay at pace with what the other teams are doing. But when you're standing to get a free throw, literally no one's touching you. You're the biggest guy there. And then literally all of a sudden you just throw your arms up in the air and you fall backwards out of nowhere. And like the video replay clearly shows this. 
I mean, at, at the least come out and admit that you're flopping and trying to get a call. Don't come out and be like, no, I don't flop. Yes, you do. At least admit it. Like, at least James Harden comes out and says, hey, it's part of the game. LeBron is literally trying to say that he doesn't flop. Come on. Like, you're going to tell me that you you suddenly got pushed by the Holy Spirit? <laughs> get out of here, LeBron. You're supposed to be the face of the league. But um, on to the last one. The first and third overall picks, Anthony Edwards and LaMelo Ball faced off for the first time this year, going for 21 points and 20 points, respectively. Anthony Edwards ended up getting the win on the night, but LaMelo seemingly has the edge rookie of the year throughout the year. Do you think that LaMelo, the lower pick, will actually wind up being the better player? Is Anthony Edwards guilty of being the number one pick who isn't the best player in his class? Uh, I think he's going to be guilty of that. But you know what? Anthony Edwards is innocent. You know why? Because he's innocent for being picked by such a (laughs) team. Terrible team. This team is now my new New York Knicks. Like, they are the laughing stock of the NBA that nobody's going to want to go to. And he is completely innocent for having been picked by such a bad team. Like, there's no direction yeah. on this team. So, you know what? Just like in any other aspect or walk of life, your manager has a huge influence in terms of how good or how poor you end up. Your situation and company has a huge influence in terms of the training and the tools that you need to succeed. And Anthony Edwards, his manager, his company, his organization are all going to be working against him. This is a guy who has talked about not being in love with the game of basketball the way that other players are. So you're not going to see him want to change the culture of that franchise. So Again, I hope that there's a fire sale and everybody is able to just move on from that team or at least a fire sale so that they can get better management and just a better structure in that organization. But the mellow ball being with the GOAT uh, in Charlotte, being surrounded by a, a team that is going to work through him and work for him, he's just he's got more of the tools to succeed after just being the rookie of the year. Like he's got the structure and the organization that is going to allow him to be his best self. So that, that's my rant. I'm done so with that, this is Quarter Opinion. I'm Eric Gonzalez with Michael Stir. Like us on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcast. And we will be back next week with our fresh take and opinion on the NBA.